Welcome back, Carter. Won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about Star Crash. Yeah, I don't know the music at all. Music was really good, I will say yeah, that. It was. it was. It all goes downhill from there. No, man, it's awesome. <laughs> it was pre, it was a Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a complete total ripoff. Yay. No, man, a uh, reimagining. A reimagining, yeah. An homage. Uh, this is our first episode in our May the Farce Be With You month. Yes, uh, where we... Are going to cover some Star Wars ripoffs and some and uh, some it's parodies some and satires, parodies yeah. and things. Um, since uh, Star Wars was released, how many years ago this month? Uh, it would be forty-five years ago. Forty-five years ago. Yeah, forty-five years. That's ago. so crazy! Oof. Holy moly, man! It's got, Star Wars needs to get a colonoscopy. <laughs> Should have gotten it five years yeah, ago. Yeah, I think it's yeah. time. <laughs> Goodness. All right. Well, take yourself back to 1979. Yeah. February 7th, Pluto moves inside Neptune's orbit for the first time since either was known to science. Nice. You mean Pluto the dog? Is this like a yeah, Disney was, porn? They discovered him. He was just out floating around in space. He's moving yeah. inside Neptune. Is that another dog? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Red rocket. Um, I, you could say that Pluto uh, ripped off the eighth planet status. Okay. Wait. Now... Did it go back to being a planet, Pluto? Uh, no, they haven't officially done that. But at this time, it was technically a planet. Well, yes. Yeah. Yes. It, it, but I thought, because it was declassified as yes, a planet, then is, I thought it was going to be reclassified as a planet. There are some people, some scientists, that want it to be reclassified as a planet, uh, but NASA has not done that yet. What you do, NASA? Whoever NASA. It is, is, is. Well, they have a voice in it, but like, there's some board or something. It's so that crazy that a board me. of humans in one country gets to decide if a, a celestial body is a planet or not. Well, the problem was that after they found Pluto, uh, and they called it a planet because it was so far out there, if they reclassify as a planet now, the size is small enough that there are moons of like Jupiter that are bigger than Pluto. Right. So they would be like, well, there's planets too. You know, it becomes this whole, yes. you know. Do you hear that sound? <laughs> that sound is everyone falling asleep right now. <laughs> All right. Well, whatever, It's my man. fault, baby. It's yeah. my fault. I just thought that it was it was coming back. I thought Pl- Pluto no. was back in fashion. As far as I know, no. Okay. It's still just a All right, well, then F you, whatever Pluto. it actually yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah. Has been. February 26th, a total solar eclipse occurs over the northwestern United States, not occurring again for 38 years. I remember that eclipse. It was a big yeah, deal. It was. It was. Uh, I'm, it, I'm not going to make the joke. But the... Total eclipse of the heart. Oh, okay. I yeah. already did that. Uh, it was, uh, you actually could see a partial solar eclipse over the majority of the United States. So I I was uh, about 10 months old, so I don't remember this. Yeah, you were an eclipse baby. Yeah. It was actually quite a bit. It was actually me. My mom was holding me up and I blocked it. <laughs> yeah, well, you're a big baby. <laughs> March 4th, the U.S. Voyager 1 space probe photos reveal Jupiter's rings. And then, and then, in the future... In the future, when the Enterprise finds it, it says, I am V'ger. V'ger. I am V'ger. <laughs> and they're like, what the hell? It's going to destroy the universe. Wow. And it was Voyager all along, Adam. Uh, it was Voyager. It was just out there. And Spock's like, illogical, V'ger. Stop trying to be a jerk. <laughs> and then it's like, okay. I, 
now that I've found my missing letters, everything is happy again. Yay. <laughs> I, that's how I remember Star Trek, the motion picture. I don't know if that's actually the... I I've not seen that. No, so it was about Major, though. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. It is so boring. It was the most boring movie. I remember seeing that in the theater and just being bored to tears. I was like, "How the hell is this Star Trek?" <laughs> a paint. I used to watch paint dry because my dad was a, my stepdad was a general contractor. Yeah, and it was. it was much more exciting than Star Trek. I was like, "Hey, you got any paint drying? To take this awful stink of Star Trek out of my eyeballs." Do you hear that sound? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> March 7th, Star Crash premieres in Los Angeles. Yes! Dun, 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 dun! Uh, yeah. So, this was around the time when Star Wars had the hugest impact on the film industry. Because Whoa. everybody and their mom wanted to capture that success. Those of you who weren't around don't understand how huge this yeah. was. yeah. People lined up around the block. Yeah. For hours. And this was pre-internet. This was pre... This was word of mouth. This was uh, just this people. This t- t- telephone time, <laughs> man. This is, pre just, this is pre just about everything. Yeah, you had to go buy your tickets. These weren't just in line. They had their tickets, man. This was the yeah. box office line. Yeah. So you would wait in line. You'd, the show would be sold out. You'd wait another two hours. That show would be sold out. So by six hours, seven hours uh. later, maybe you'd get in. But people were like, "F it! I need to see this movie." It was, yeah. it was a, it was a event. Right, right. It was huge. It was huge. Uh, people were primed. People yeah. were primed for it yeah. because, like, Jaws and those, you know, the 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 really big movies before it really primed the audience for some giant event movie, and right. this just right. filled that. It was just so different than anything anybody had ever seen. You had to see it. Like if you if you went and to work and you're at the water cooler and oh, you yeah. didn't see it, you would feel like schmuck. Just from the opening spectacle of the ships, people were just blown away. It, yeah. you, to see it in the theater was just a magical experience. I remember seeing it. Uh, Unfortunately, the yeah. first time I saw it, I had some little jerk friend next to me was like, all right, okay, this is right now. Okay, this is where he's going to take oh, out his light sword. Right, this is right, where he yeah. takes out his light sword. He's going to cut him with his light sword. Oh, he's going to cut his arm off with the light sword. I'm like, shut up, moron. Just let me enjoy the freaking, it's my birthday. Let me enjoy the movie. Good Lord. Uh, the downside of uh, having Star Wars and the massive amount of appeal was that there were so many ripoffs. Or upside, <laughs> if you are a fan. I, I mean, yes, okay, technically, if you like sci-fi movies, you like space operas, sure, sure. It was a, like a new movie every two weeks was coming out that was... As a baby coming. boy, it was perfect. Because sure, you're too young. Sure. Look, I knew these movies were pretty stupid. But they had light swords and robots, and they had like Ray Harryhausen type of stuff. Like, yeah, because I yeah. loved the the Sinbad movies. Yeah, and the, Harry and the Argonauts movies. Absolutely, man, those skeleton battles and stuff oh, were yeah. just like I love that stuff. Creep me out, man, and the monsters and the Kraken. Clash, the, yeah, Clash Titans. He did Clash Titans. Yeah, too, he did. Right? Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, they were fantastic. I, Ray Harryhausen was incredible, absolutely incredible. And he had those weird robots. In Star Crash, you know the weird, yeah, yeah. the the spy versus spy <laughs> robot, naked spy versus spy guys with their stuck swords out, stuck out like a sore thumb. <laughs> swords, yeah. So there were a bunch of movies that came out that that were ripped off Star Wars, like uh, Message from Space in yeah. 1978, Sunny Chiba. 
Japanese had Vic Morrow and Sonny Chiba in it. Uh, Laser Blast from 1978, <laughs> which I would have gone and seen because it's a great title. Uh, oh, yeah. It tried to be a really gritty version of Star Wars, like a really darker version. I don't remember that one. I'm sure if I saw some stills I, or something, I would. I'm sure you can probably find it on YouTube. <laughs> I'm sure it's not. Yeah. A Star Odyssey, 1979. Which... Remember, I distinctly remember renting that from the local. Oh, yeah. Nice. Video store. Nice. Well, Star Odyssey. I mean, why would you not? I rented all of these. Yeah. It was Italian, had light swords. It was great. Uh, the Humanoid in 1979, which totally ripped off the text crawl and had droids that looked just like R2-D2. Uh, and also used, literally ripped off the actual sound effects of R2-D2. <laughs> in a later span of time, in a universe... Not close to this one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which the irony is that the humanoid was actually the original director got fired, and actually it was finished directed by Luigi Cosi. Who I did directed see this. Star Crash. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, uh, Galaxina in 1980, which starred Dorothy Stratton, who yeah, that, you mm. may remember as the Playboy Playmate of the Year, who was murdered literally a week after this movie came out. Uh, there's a great movie by Peter Bogdanovich called. Uh, Star 80. Yes, Star 80. uh, Mariel Hemingway. Yeah. Uh, The Man Who Saved the World in 1982, which is known as the Turkish Star Wars. Uh, And I have never seen, but I watch on the trailer. Man, I really want to see this movie. Nice. (laughs) It looks so awful. Uh, And then, of course, like TV, there was like Battlestar Galactica. Which they released in the theater because of the popularity of Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, And then, of course, 1978 was Star Crash. Star Crash. Uh, although the creators of Star Crash claim that they'd come up with the ideas before Star Wars released, but... Sure you did. I mean, come on. <laughs> sure you did. Have you seen the movie? Yeah. They yeah. they had, the, like, the goofiest, like, the goofiest sound design. Like, the, the light swords so like... It was so not good. So, Star Crash, uh, the origins of Star Crash start with one Italian director, Luigi Cosi. Luigi Cosi. Yeah. He... My name is Luigi. He he knew there was buzz around the release Star Wars, so even before the movie came out, like in all the buzz we talked about, he wanted to create a space fantasy, as he called it. Uh, he had ideas, but he needed investors. Uh, Luigi Cosi actually started making 8mm films as a child. He directed his own movies when he was a kid. Uh, his first feature, which he shot when he was 21 years old, was the extremely low-budget The Tunnel Under the World Ooh. in 1969, which featured a vampire and a Martian. Whoa. A vampire and a <laughs> yes. Martian? Not a vampire Martian, but both? Both. Yeah. Now you, that's you, a bang for your buck, baby. You know he's going to go on to great things. Luigi Cosi, you got the, you got the formula down. He got- he knows. And I tried to find this movie. It's not available anywhere. You know what the review was? Oh, that's a spicy meatball. <laughs> this is going to be such a... Hey, if you're Italian, you may want to <laughs> tune out for this one. There's going to be a lot of uh, Mario-sounding uh, stereotypes. Yeah, so I yeah. apologize. A lot of, a lot of Italian. Uh, but I can't stop. <laughs> for shortly after the release of his first movie, uh, Cozy would befriend director Dario Argento. And work with him on several of his films. Oh, man, Dario Argento is one of the masters yes. of creepy, crazy horror. Oh, uh, that guy! If you do yourself a favor, Suspiria. Ugh. Oh my God, uh, so good. His daughter, uh, Asia Argento, yeah. is an amazing actress. She's just like one of the rawest talents around. That yeah. family is just 
nuts with talent. Oh, yeah. Dario Argento is incredible. Any of his movies. Go, go look at any of them. But Suspiria, in, in, in particular, is incredible. Yep. Uh, so after that, he, uh, Luigi moved into television. He wrote some, directed some TV episodes. Uh, he also wrote and directed two more feature films before the release of Star Wars in 1977. Uh, and shortly before uh, the release of Star Wars in May 1977 at the Cannes Film Festival, Causey met Nat Waksberger and his son Patrick, who were impressed with samples that Causey had created to try to sell his idea to get investors for this space fantasy he wanted to make. Nice. Nat and Patrick had just created a new company called Film Enterprises Production and needed content to release, so they were very eager to work with Luigi Cozzi. Uh, Nat Waksberger was a producer who had just come off the film Killer Force in 1976, the first movie released by Film Enterprises Productions, starring Telly Savalas. Yeah, baby, Telly, baby. Peter Fonda. Oh, yeah. Christopher Lee. Yeah. Yeah, and O.J. Simpson. (laughs) The juice. Yeah, he definitely was back then. <laughs> uh, not Nat Waksberger might sound familiar because he also produced The Day the Clown Cried Good in Lord. 1972, the Jerry Lewis Holocaust movie that has never seen the light of day. Yeah, because if you don't know the story, <laughs> Jerry Lewis plays a clown who entertains children as they're being marched into the gas chamber in Auschwitz. And it's a comedy. It could have been a misstep. <laughs> I have never wanted to see a film more yes. in my life than I yes. want to see this film. I don't think anybody's seen it. It's no. been locked no. away in some crazy... It's mythical. Yeah, it's... People say that, oh, I saw it at his house and like all this... It's BS you have. Yeah. Nobody's seen this movie. I so, so desperately want to see this movie. It, it I will know be. It, I know it makes me sound like a horrible person. No, no. It's as a cinephile, but you want to see the movie. It is like the holy grail of just bad ideas, man. Yeah. Like who? And this was like a passion project for Jerry Lewis. And yes. I get it, man. Yes. I get it. Like, you know, I get because he's a comedian and he, he was Jewish, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he was probably – but Jesus Christ, just what I've heard about it is just holy mother of pearls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not not good, not good. Uh, so Patrick, the the son, uh, has gone on to produce movies like The Hunger Games, and actually he just won an Oscar for producing Coda. Nice. Uh, I really want to meet him now because he has the scoop. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he does. I'm sure everybody he does. asks him. They're yeah. like, I don't care about your Oscar, pal. What about the uh, <laughs> Daily uh, the Daily yeah. After Died? I know. You, I know you have a, a screener somewhere. <laughs> where is it? Where is it? So to prepare, uh, Luigi Cosi read the novelization of Star Wars written by George Lucas that was published in November of 1976. To prepare to rip off his movie? Yes. This is why he claims he had these ideas beforehand. <laughs> but, but no. <laughs> Not if he read the novelization. Yeah. You know, I read the comic book novelization of Empire Strikes Back before it came out, and then I knew. Oh, the, you knew the secret. Knew the you knew the twist. Secret, and it was so stupid. I was so I was so bummed. You were mad? I was bummed at myself. Oh, for spoiling for blowing it. Blowing the bloops, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gotta be careful with that stuff, man. It's and Ever since that, I swear to God, man, ever since that day, and this isn't a joke, I have avoided spoilers. And yeah, I hate spoilers yeah. more than anything. I don't want to know anything about no, same, anything. Same. The people that need to mine out every last detail of something before it comes out, what... what who stole your joy? <laughs> why do you even like movies? What's the point? Yeah, why, why? Detective jerk face? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm i actually at the point where I, I'm avoiding trailers now. Yeah. For yeah. the most part. Mm-hmm. I mean, I 
because after the the first one's usually okay, but then they'll release like two more and they just reveal more and more stuff. And it's, it's like beginning uh, to, especially if you see the movie after you see the trailer and you realize they basically just told the entire movie yes. in two and a half minutes. Yeah. And it was better than the movie yeah, because it, it was only two and a half minutes. Cut out all the crap. Yeah. Like, you should have made a short, pal. <laughs> so Cozy wrote a – or Cozy. Sorry, I'm going to call him Cozy. Cozy wrote a – Luigi. Luigi Cozy. Yeah. He wrote a 70-page Cozy. treatment for, for – that's actually probably the best way to say it. Uh, Luigi Cozy. Cozy. So Cozy wrote a 70-page treatment for his space fantasy and presented it to Nat Waksberger with the title Empire of the Stars. Ooh, that would have been crazy because then probably – Empire Strikes Back wouldn't have been Empire Strikes Back. Ah, uh, I mean, possibly. I could have, could have, maybe. Yeah, I'm sure George Lucas probably laughed and be like, whatever. He would have just been like, oh man, now I, mm. I can't want to be associated with this ripoff of my movie. Why don't we call it Darth Vader, Darth Vader's Dreary Day, <laughs> Episode Six. <laughs> You're a fan of his, right? Is I that... love him. He, 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 he employed me for 19 years. He's like, he's like a, you know, it's like a father to me. Uh, so Nat really liked the treatment, was super excited, but he had an idea for a better title. Starcraft. Uh, Luigi Cosi was incredibly Luigi Cosi. confused by this because no mention of any stars crashing or anything. It was just Nat Waksberger being a producer going, eh, this is better. What is a title that sounds a lot like Star Wars, but isn't exactly Star Wars? Star battles? No, too much star. Okay, alphabet. Star ant, star beers, star crash. Star crash! Star crash! Right there. Star beers. <laughs> I want to see that movie. Oh, yeah. I'll show it to you. I've lived it. Uh, so <clears throat> he went to work uh, writing the script, and they went to work casting the film. Noise. Uh, their lead was Caroline Monroe. Now, wait. Did they cast out of Italy or did they go to Los Angeles? Did they have, like, a, a Los Angeles casting? They had a Los Angeles casting person. Okay. Yeah, for the major the major leads, they, right. they went to Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. Um, although Caroline Monroe did not live in Los Angeles. She lived in London. Uh, oh. But she was the only person that Luigi Cosi wanted to play Stella Star. Was she uh, British? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. She was from Windsor in uh, the U.K., uh, Berkshire, so she was, England. She was British. She had a very slight accent. Very, very slight accent. Well, you wouldn't know it from Star Crash because uh, <laughs> you know who didn't not, have an accent? It, wasn't, it was wasn't Candy Clark. Voice. That's true. <laughs> uh, so Carolyn Monroe, she uh, started early on in her modeling career by winning a Face of the, F- of the Year photo contest and started modeling for Vogue at the age of 17. She has a very – she's got mad brows, man. Oh, yeah. Like her yeah. eyebrows are like – she always looks slightly pissed, <laughs> you know? And, like, if you look at her eyes, even when she smiles, it's like there's something going. It's just like those eyes can't. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> she had a bit part in Casino Royale in 1967. And in 1969, one of her photo ads led to a screen test and a one-year contract with Paramount, where she was cast as Richard Widmark's daughter in the British-American comedy western A Talent for Loving. Yes, yeah, such a great movie. I have no idea. <laughs> I've never British seen it. No idea. Just the idea of the fact that it was literally described as a British-American comedy western makes me not want to see the movie at all. Now it does kind of make me want to see it. <laughs> what is a British-American comedy I don't western? Know. I don't know. Uh, although the irony is that uh, she did have a talent for loving because that's where she met her husband, Judd Hamilton. 
uh, on a talent oh for loving. Oh my God, you did it! <laughs> I you did, did it. it! I did it! <laughs> I did it! I did! I did it! I was amazing. Thank oh. you. Uh, so Monroe has the distinction of being the only actor ever signed to a long-term contract by Hammer Films. Uh, she acted in the Dracula AD 1972, which convinced her to go to acting full-time, stop modeling. Well, okay, let's just say, you know, it isn't the most prestigious thing in the world to be the only person to contact no. Hammer. But Hammer Films used to make these great, uh, like, horror yeah. adaptations of Edgar Allan Poe. And, yeah, they would take know. all the royalty-free stuff exactly. and, and make great movies out of it. it. Yeah, exactly. And it yeah. would, uh, Christopher Plummer was in a lot of them. Yeah, Christopher Lee a Christopher lot. Christopher yeah. Lee a lot. And it was just... Uh, yeah, I mean the Hammer films are some of the great B schlocky. Yeah, they're not. You know, they're not quite like Corman B level, but they're they're still yeah, they're, pretty B level. A little bit of class to them. There's like yeah. a little bit of like a, you know, it's almost like watching a theater production yes. of a horror yeah. film. I think the way that they over dramatic they, they go over the the B like a B plus levels because they just cast a lot of British people. Yes, <laughs> so but it's they, this, they sound British. it sounds much more. <laughs> we both get out of this house. Yeah. There's something in this house. Reginald. <laughs> it's, it's Dracula. You have to calm down, darling. Yeah, exactly. We're going to just have to survive the night and we will just be fine. Uh, although she did have this contract that, that uh, lasted for uh, a year. I believe it was a year-long contract. Uh, she did turn down a handful of Hammer movies because they required nudity and she refused. Yeah. And good for her. I, I A lot of people wouldn't and, and didn't, but she had been modeling long enough to know that, you know. It's not necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in or it's also not a bad thing either. It's your body do what you want. Oh, no, with. totally. If you want to do it, go for it. Just you know? want to make sure people I mean, don't think you're a prig. It was, <laughs> it was It was. a couple of pretty big movies that she said no to, and, and which, you know. Hey, I get it. It's your thing. Some people are more comfortable doing that kind of thing than others, and, you know, yeah. more power to you. If you yeah, want to exactly. show it, show it. If you don't, don't. Your body, your choice. Exactly. Yeah. In 1977, Monroe turned down the opportunity to play villainous Ursa in Superman in favor of Bond girl Naomi in The Spy Who Loved Me. Man, there was so much full frontal nudity in that Superman movie. It was really (laughs) distracting. (laughs) Uh, You know, the really odd thing is that, not odd, but, you know, good for her. Like, she's getting offered some pretty big movies, you know, after after doing the modeling and being in Hammer movies and stuff. She's a beautiful woman. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yes. She could, you know, she's, she's got that. Weird intensity because of her Jack Nicholson eyebrows. <laughs> I would say she's uh, she probably would have been a better Ursa than the woman who ended up playing her. I was, which one was Ursa? I don't remember. The three um, Kryptonians, uh, she was the chick. Oh, no, no. She was good. I thought she was really good. Yeah. She, yeah. Okay. All right. We'll have that. <laughs> I don't know. I guess we'll never guess know. we'll have that I argument mean. when we do Superman. <laughs> Is this Superman 2 or Superman? Superman. The first Superman. It was, oh, because they're in the they, thing and then they, they come got, back for yeah. Superman 2. They're they, the beginning of the trial. If you see the original Donner Cut, they actually are in it a lot more. Right. And, and Superman 1 and Superman 2 were technically in the same movie, but it was it was like a four-hour-long movie, and they end up cutting it up. And then, yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, but she was in a Bond movie, which is fantastic. I mean, I, it's, a, it's a big deal. Uh, Star Crash was her first leading role. Uh, she was, as I said, she was writer director Luigi Cozzi's first and only choice to play Star. Luigi Cozzi. I'm just gonna have you say it every time. <laughs> you sound okay. better than I do. Uh, Co- I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Cozzi was a huge Ray Harryhausen fan, like Jim, and Monroe had just starred in The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, where Ray Harryhausen did the special effects. I love those Sinbad movies, baby. Yeah. Uh, it- 
he was upset. I'm sure he was probably obsessed with Caroline Monroe because she was in this movie, and he wanted Star Crash to be, as he called it, Sinbad goes to space. Yeah. So she was the first and only choice, and uh, she did. She did fine. You know, I mean, she did fine in the movie. Yeah, but we don't really know. Yeah, do we? Which we'll get to that. Yeah. We don't really. Know. <laughs> That's true. That is very true. Her uh, eyes and eyebrows didn't do a lot of acting, but underneath that did. Yeah. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, her co-star and her uh, Stella's mysterious sidekick, Acton, was played by Marjo Gortner. Marjo Gortner. Who sounds like he should be from, like, Finland or sure. Sweden. No, he was from, like, Pasadena. <laughs> Marjo. What the hell? I don't know. Marjo. Uh, you know what Marjo probably is? Because a lot of people – this was uh, – I don't know if you've seen the um, – the the newest Gerard Carmichael special, Romaniel no, on no. HBO. I highly recommend it. It's yes, one of the best yeah. stand-up specials I've seen. Um, but possibly Marjo. Yeah. The father of his father was Martin. Yeah. And the father of his mother was Joseph. And yeah. so they make Marjo. That's, and I, then the that's, child yeah. pays for it for the rest of his life. <laughs> uh, I That's actually probably what happened. I wouldn't be surprised. They, I'm pretty smart sometimes. You are. Maybe. You are. That's good. <laughs> Marjo actually started his career as an ordained minister in the Pentecostal church at the age of four. Man, there is nothing creepier to me, and I am sorry, than child preachers. Yes. It creeps me the F out. 100% agree. It's probably Children of the Corn, you know, let's be yeah. honest. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. But still, it's just like there's something creepy about especially like the Pentecostal, like real fire and brimstone. Yeah. You know, you see in a four-year-old, yeah, you going to hell in a headbasket with your oh. seeds on your like, fingers. Yeah. Now give me my juice box, mama, because I'm going to send you to the fiery pits of hell. Hell is where you're going, mama. You're going to hell I, if you don't give me my juice box. And my this trail. is what I don't understand is that it's your four. How do you have – you don't know what you're talking about. He is an instrument of God, Adam. Uh, it's not no. about him. It's God using you him. You have no life experience. You can't talk God about God has this. life experience. Oh, all right. <laughs> By the time he was 16, his family had amassed what he later estimated to be about $3 million from their traveling preacher show. Cha-ching. That's why you yep. have a four-year-old preacher. Oh, yeah. He definitely made them money. Uh, I, okay. Yeah. If you're a traveling preacher... Who goes around giving money to poor communities? Sure. And you're a man of God, and I respect you, and I think you're a good person. <laughs> but if you're a preacher that goes around to poor communities and <laughs> takes all their money. Amasses $3 million. <laughs> you're a con man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in fact, <clears throat> so much a con man that shortly after Gortner's 16th birthday, his father absconded with all the money. God told me to go. I gotta go. <laughs> I, know I can't argue with Jesus. So, uh, Marjo spent the remainder of his teenage years literally wandering around San Francisco as they called him an itinerant beatnik. He just gave up religion entirely. Wouldn't you? Of course. I mean, good Lord. It's just like... You spend wow. 12 years making your family rich. And, and then, then your father takes all the money leaves. and leaves. And you just wander around the beach barefoot, smoke dope with your giant... <laughs> Golden afro and your weird <laughs> nose and face. He look like he looks like a if Big Bird had an afro, that's Marjo. You know, it's really surprising that he didn't become like a cult leader. He easily could have. I it, I don't think he had the. I don't. 
I don't think he had the gumption, man. I no, don't think I, he had the drive yeah. to be a cult leader. I don't think he leader. wanted to, yeah. I think he was forced to do this crap yeah. for his family. And then one, I think, you know, this is just me making shit up. But I think maybe he was kind of relieved, you know? He's yeah. done with that stuff. Oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't know? be surprised. Because yeah. he doesn't continue with it. So I think no. it was just kind of well, like. Well, he does a little bit. Well, what I mean is he yes. doesn't continue, continue. No, with no, it, no, 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 no. Uh, he, he, yeah, he, he cashes in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, which, I mean, you know, more power to him. Uh, he was hard-pressed for money in his early 20s, so he decided to put his old skills to work and re-emerged on the preaching circuit with a charismatic stage show modeled that for those of contemporary rock stars like Mick Jagger or the Rolling Stones. Hey, if he's putting on a show, he's putting on yeah. a show. You know, there's no difference between that and you know, a, a, a musical act or whatever, yeah. as yeah. long as you're taking it for what it is. Yeah. Uh, He would make enough money in six months that he would take six months off during the year and continue his itinerant beatnik ways. (laughs) He eventually, after doing that for a few years, he got tired of doing the double life and was like, you know what? I'm going to do one more tour and then I'm going to be done. And I'm going to be a really bad actor. And (laughs) whatever, whatever. But he was going to be done with it. So in 1971, uh, he, he decided he wanted to translate his performative skills into acting. So for his last tour, he let a documentary film crew follow him around. I really want to see this, by the way. Uh, it is available. Uh, there's one streaming service that has it. I don't remember the name of it. All right. uh, it features a penguin. That's all I can remember. Um, On the serves? The the, serve, the the streamer. Like It's something I'd never heard of before, but it is available on it. Uh, but this, this documentary crew followed, followed him around, and in uh, 1971, for that year, the Academy Awards, uh, it won Best Documentary Film. Uh, the nice. The film Marjo won. Uh, well, you it, think it would be available someplace, though? It is. It is. I just don't remember. I mean, more relati- readily available than right. some mystery right. penguin service that nobody has ever heard of. <laughs> it was so funny because it's it, most of the stuff is pay on this service here. I can tell you what it is. Fandor. It's on Fandor. Fandor. Yeah. See the... It's a it's a weird little penguin. It is. I, I don't know, but Never it's Fandor. Heard of Fandor. Literally, as far as I can tell, Marjo is the only thing that's free on Fandor. Yeah. Everything else. That's how they get you. That's a little that's a little taste that they get you. But it is free and it is available. So if you want to check out Marjo, um, and we do not. Uh, we neither support nor deny Fandor. The no, no, I. <laughs> Watch your butts. I don't know. Maybe yeah. it's a scam. Yeah. Although uh, it has been, been said that since Marjo came out, it is the best example of a critique of the preaching circuit and those kind of like Pentecostal like crazy preachers. Very cool. Because because Marjo Gortner gave very honest interviews to the point where even like he talked about his father stealing money. His father had no idea he talked about this stuff. Oh, wow. No one knew about it. Like it was all he gave very he was very honest about it because yeah. he was getting out. He was just like, yeah, whatever. Well, yeah, I think it boils down to the preachers of traffic and love. Good yeah. guys. The, pre- pre- the preachers of traffic and fear. Not so good guys. Not so good guys. Exactly, exactly. So Marjo began his acting career with a featured role in the Marcus Nelson murders, which was uh, used as the 1973 pilot for the Kojak series. Kojak, baby. Yeah, baby. And Telly Savalas <laughs> licking that lolly. He also played Sergeant Jody Jode in the disaster film Earthquake as a psychotic <laughs> grocery manager turned National Guardsman, uh, the main antagonist. It was his biggest part. Oh, he was awesome in that as he was Jody Jode. So crazy. And I didn't realize it was him until I, I read that he was in this. And, and then it was like, oh, the afro. Yes. Well, he didn't have as big an afro. It was, I know. But they, they had tamped it a bit. Yeah. He didn't yes. have his wild, crazy star crash fro. Ugh. 
He's so... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> in Star Crash, uh, Acton was supposed to be a grotesque alien, but Marjo refused to wear any heavy makeup. Yeah, good for him, man. That would have yeah. been gross. Plus, all that stuff was toxic back then. Oh. There was nothing... You know, there wasn't any... And you're in Italy, so there's probably <laughs> not as many uh, regulations. Yeah. Eh, just to put it on your face, huh? What's what's in it? Eh, don't you worry about it's in it. Just to put it on your face. If it turns red and it burns, eh, we take it off. In, a, in an hour or two, you know? <laughs> After we get the shots. When do we get the shots? <laughs> uh, Judd Hamilton played L, the powerful emotional robot policeman. I'm a robot policeman named L. Hey there, <laughs> let's go down and get that emperor. Hamilton, yeah, exactly. That, that literally sounds just like him. I did the voice. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> uh, Hamilton had a co-starring role in the Richard Quine 1969 Western, A Talent for Loving, where he worked with Carolyn Monroe nice. and got married in 1970. So Adam, did he have a talent for loving as well? Uh, he, according to Caroline Monroe, he did. Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll be right back with the weather and the, <laughs> oh, and the traffic on the ones. You love it. I adore it. Uh, he was a musician leading hit to him and Monroe, leasing, releasing numerous singles as Judd and Miss Monroe. Uh, they released like four or five singles that did pretty well. Uh, he actually pushed the California surf genre with his involvement in the T-Bones. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, he was also part of the Avantes and the Ventures. Yep. Uh, Ventures were like one of the Oh, they were huge. Yeah. yeah they're very, they're very uh, tatamount with the surf sound of the 60s. Yeah, oh yeah. They they were the surf sound. Yeah. Uh ironically, he donned the cowboy robot suit for Star Crash, uh, but due to the fact that they couldn't fly him out to dub over his own lines, he didn't even provide the voice, uh which I don't know who did the voice. I no did, Adam. Oh sorry, I it was Jim. Voice. Well, well uh, let's get down to that planet and see what's happening. Oh my goodness, I've been shot apart. <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! <laughs> Yeehaw! Uh, I just find it really sad that he was in this movie and literally you don't see him, you don't hear him. Adam, he He's got to hang there. out with his wife in Italy. That's true. He did get his you know, free trip. All to he had to do was put on that trash can suit for a few hours, Lumber and awkwardly walk around <laughs> like, 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 like a mannequin that just now came to life. <laughs> you know, but he got to hang out with his wife. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They got a free vacation out of it. And I got paid $16.95 to do the voice. Wow. Yeah. You did You did a really good job considering you were, what, like eight? Uh, Yeah, I was pretty young. Nine, but I've had yeah. this voice. I went through puberty very young. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I was a Pentecostal preacher back then. Oh. So Judd and Caroline divorced in 1982. Uh, Aww. And, uh, and here's the weird thing, and I thought this was fascinating. Judd Hamilton has spent the last 20 years developing and patent, patenting X-Rock, a unique radiation shielding concrete coating material. Yeah. It's super weird, but apparently it's used everywhere now. Yeah, that's he figured that out on Star Crash. Because <laughs> he had to figure out how to make the spaceships not burn up when they were doing the spaceship right. shots. Right. And he was like, I think I, think I got myself a little epoxy little help. I'm going to call it... X-Rock. X-Rock. It's... He's just had a fascinating life. Like Seriously. I find this man 100%. Fascinating. Yeah. Like I mean, yeah. you're in one of the greatest Star Wars ripoff cult films, and he you're was, a scientist. And he was a surf rock Surf know, rock musician, guy. Like uh, country music guy. Yeah, it was, it was Judd crazy. And Miss Monroe and, and Jibbles Judd, and Miss Judd Monroe. Miss Monroe. Judd and Miss yeah. Monroe. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> Prince Simon, the Emperor's son, was played by none other than David Hasselhoff. Oh, such a pretty man he yeah. was. You got lost in his eyes. Oh, my God. He, 
literally, I said this before, but he was literally an anime character. Like, I think most anime was based off of what David Hasselhoff looked like in the 70s. He just had those. Yeah. He just had such a pretty face. The turning. (laughs) (laughs) Sparkle, sparkle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was was the personification of Speed Racer. Yes. In that movie. He was. He really was. Uh, Hasselhoff uh, started his career portraying Dr. Snapper Foster (laughs) on The Young and the Restless from 1975 to 1982. Snapper Foster. Doctor Snapper Foster. Good guy, mm. uh, man. Jody, Jode, Snapper Foster. We don't have fun names like that anymore. No, the seventies no. were great. Uh, he didn't actually choose to leave the show. They actually wrote out a ton of their original characters in 1982. He was too pretty, baby. Uh, All the other yeah. actors are like, "Get this pretty boy away from me. I can't." No woman's looked at me <laughs> ever since this golden god <laughs> came strutting on set with his beautiful locks. Nice. <laughs> he his stint on that soap opera made him a household name. Uh, he was he was very well known by everyone. Oh yeah, everybody loves soaps. Yeah, and oh, back yeah. then everybody started on soaps. Alec yeah. Baldwin. Oh yeah, you know every Kevin, Kevin Costner. Kevin Co- everybody yeah. was like it was, you know that's was, how they. It was, it was like was easy work. Yeah. It's like what uh, SVU has been the last twenty years. <laughs> that's true. You know? That's true. That was you know it's New York actors in New York. They want to do theater, but they got to make money, and so yeah. they'll, they'll. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna debase myself with being on a, on a soap opera, but it's not as bad as being in commercials. Yeah, well, then Just, they do commercials too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, his feature film debut was in 1974 as Boner in Revenge of the Cheerleaders, <laughs> uh, which he only did so he could get into the Screen Actors Guild. Yeah, yeah. In a long line of an, a very great actors playing Boner, there was. <laughs> There's the boner from uh, uh, Charles in Charge. No, no, from Growing Pains. Oh, he was in Growing Pains. Yes, That's right. Adam. Sorry, I was thinking. Get of the your wrong. boners straight, Sorry. my friend. It wasn't. What was anyway? It doesn't matter. Uh, it was Buddy, Buddy. It was Buddy and Charles in Charge. You're right. Buddy and buddy. boner and boner and okay. Buddy. No, right. <laughs> Uh, the funny thing is, at the time, he, he did it just to get in the Screen Actors Guild, but at the time, he believed that the film would not be released, but uh, it was, because he got really popular, so two years later, it appeared under the title, Caught With Their Pants Down. Oh, such an improvement. Yeah. And they probably featured him on, you know, the poster was him, and it was probably some sort of, like, Dick DiBartolo, Mad Magazine ripoff. Oh, I'm sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Unfortunately, even though he was still working on his uh, soap opera, he wouldn't do another feature film after Star Crash until 1988. He's very difficult. Uh, you can't be that pretty and not be difficult, Adam. I, I, maybe, maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was the stink of Star Crash. It was I, the stink of beauty and everybody being stink jealous. Of beauty. They were jelly gels, and they didn't. They were like, I'm. I don't want to hire such a pretty, pretty man. Well, he did also, after he he got out of uh, doing the soap opera, he he did do Knight Rider for a long time. That started, what, 83 or 84? I, I think, think so. Yeah, Knight Rider was yeah, huge, man. It was man. huge, that, yeah. It was big. Make it sound like... No, 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 no. But I mean, I'm just saying, is that I, I'm sure he probably didn't have time to be doing movies because of, no. of the, the, the TV work he was doing. Yes, and yeah. he was demonstrably a horrible actor, and he fit really well in Knight Rider because he was wearing, yes, mm. Kit, mm, my leather jacket, and ah, ooh, mm, everything was, ah, ooh, I'm... Yeah, I'm Michael Knight, and I'm going to mm, put on this tuxedo. Yes, Michael, let's get you to the party. Mm, yeah, I need, I need to mm, get to the party. Michael, why are you making so many weird noises? Mm, that's how I act. Mm. 
Uh, yeah, that's dead on. Ooga shaka shaka ooga shaka. <laughs> uh, so in 1988, he starred in three movies. He just came out with a bang, uh, doing movies again. Two were German language comedies, and the other being an Italian horror movie. Of course they were. Yeah. Well, now here's the thing. Before that, he was not big in Germany. It was after these movies, and then it was 1989 when he released his first album. Oh, yeah. But he was – these German language comedies were huge in Germany. Of course they were. And he became a huge star in I Germany. like how these Europeans are all like, oh, snooty dudes and think they're all better than us, but they just <laughs> glom on to the, gro- the worst part of our <laughs> – Das ist gut, ja. Oh, uh, Hasselhoff oh. is genius. Mm. Mm. Beatles, not so much. <laughs> and the same thing with like the, the, the French with their love of Jerry, Jerry Lewis, the Holocaust clown from hell. It would have been number one. Hey, <laughs> lady, I'm going to go get in there, going to entertain you. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Blummer played the Emperor. Uh, the Emperor of the Universe, I guess, was his full title. Yes, um, please, Adam. Sorry. Uh, he earned that. He he fully admitted that he only did the movie because he wanted a free trip to Rome. He said, Give me Rome any day. I'll do porno in Rome as long as I can get to Rome. Getting to Rome was the greatest thing that happened, that for me. I think it was only about three days in Rome on that one. It was... All shot at once. Uh, he was also very excited to play the Emperor of the Universe. How can you play the Emperor of the Universe? What a wonderful part to play. It puts God in a very dicey moment, doesn't it? He's very insecure, God, when the Emperor is around. <laughs> Which, uh, you know. Somebody was doing a little dinky dink. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I he, love Christopher Plummer, by the way. I love him. Phenomenal. But he also, I mean, that's like, um, you know, that's like Michael Kine. You know, yeah. they were all about like, well, where's the shoot? Okay. Yeah. I don't give a crap. I'll, I'll right. do Jaws, The Revenge. Yeah. I need a Caribbean vacation, baby. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I love these guys. They're such great actors, but have such poopers because they were just like, ah, whatever, Whatever. Dude. Yeah. I don't care. I'm going to Rome, man. Not, and not just going to Rome, but being paid $10,000 a day to be in Rome. Yes, and this is 70s $10,000 yeah. a day. Yeah. So it's like $60,000. Well, he had, I think he had won Oscars by this point. Oh, uh, of course. Nominated, at least nominated. Yeah, I mean, late. he had done The Sound of Music. He yeah, had done, yeah. yeah, man, this guy. Had, he, had, was, he was a big get for he them. He was huge, yeah. you know. But this was the time, you know, the 70s. When things were changing, and this and this was, you know, around the the late sixties, early seventies, and this was all around the world. You know, this is the the European New Wave was happening, and yeah. and and in America, we were having, you know, the the independent yeah. revolution. You know, with uh, Dennis Hopper and all these guys, all these crazy right, movies. Right, right. So all these stars got kind of thrown to the side. And then, you know, they were making, they were doing Love Boat, and they were making these disaster movies, yeah. because nobody knew what to do with them. Right, right, right. You know, because the people that loved them weren't spending the money. So yeah. these poor, these <laughs> poor great American treasures, or, you know, yeah. European treasures, were, were thrown to the wayside and just put in crap. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. That's very true. Damn you, Hollywood. Yeah. Let's chew you up and spit you out. And the cinematic universe of the world. Yes. <laughs> 
Uh, Joe Spinell was uh, Count Zarth Arn, <laughs> oh God, a megalomaniac man. renegade. Uh, until Star Crash, he had mostly played supporting roles in big films like The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two. You totally recognize him in those. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rocky, uh, he was in, uh, and and technically, I, I want to say he was actually in Rocky Two after after uh, Star Crash came out. He also did Taxi Driver and Sorcerer. Uh, he was very close with Sylvester Stallone and was even Sage Stallone's godfather until a falling out between Sly and Joe in 1981. Yeah, it was over uh, a movie. It, it was over uh, uh, supplements. <laughs> he took the last of the creatine. When they were shooting and, Nighthawks. Yeah, yeah, and it was, I need the last of the creatine. Oh, I'm the star of the movie, All right. All okay? Right. I need the creatine, okay? It's my muscles on the not yours. Godfather wanted to. Uh, Spinell was poised to reprise his role in The Godfather Part 3, but shortly before filming, slipped in the shower, cut the back of his head on a shower door, and rather than going out for help, he laid down, fell asleep, and his hemophilia led to him bleeding out and dying. Oh, man, that's like, I mean, it's not the same thing, but it's almost like, uh, I mean, he didn't bleed out, but it's almost yeah. like Bob Saget. Yeah. Get those head wounds checked out, people. Well, the other thing, too, is that it was, because it was on the back of his head, I don't think he realized how bad it was. And But he was born with hemophilia, so it's something he knew he had the well, problem sure, with. Well, sure, but if you this, feel, but, I mean, he had to feel blood. Uh, he was also uh, very well known for being an alcoholic and a, uh. and a druggie. So, like, it Well, was, that thins your blood as well. Not yeah. too smart. But, um... His look in that movie is spectacular. Yes. They basically made Darth Vader's helmet out of his hair. <laughs> he's got this, like, amazing, <laughs> you know. That's true. That is he's true. just this, he's just so disturbing looking, I think, <laughs> is the only. And he's just so. He went through uh, voice coaching to change his voice. So yes, he didn't, he didn't because keep he his. Because he like Because he had a very thick Brooklyn accent. Oh. And so he, he um, yeah. Hey, hey, look, Star Crash. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. You bunch of space pirates, Googie. I'm going to come out there, and I'm going to get you with my space guns. I just love the fact that his hair was so messed up that Phoebe was like, is he supposed to be the the princess character? <laughs> because his hair looks like he's wearing the buns on the side of his head. Yeah, it was nuts. <laughs> it is nuts. He was... Uh, he went for it, baby. Oh, he did. He chewed he that scenery, spit yeah. it out, and chewed it up again. It was one of his first lead roles, you know? Uh-huh. I mean, like, you take that opportunity. You run with it. Well, you know, yeah. I don't know if the director was possibly, and I could be wrong, giving the best <laughs> direction to these actors. I'm going to say probably not. Oh, man, that must have been a quite a weird set with Marjo, your ex-preacher. You got your, your great Caroline Monroe, who's yeah, probably yeah. really chill. You yeah. know, her and her husband are just hanging out, writing country music. What do you, what do you say, uh, Miss Monroe? Let's write another country song while we're waiting to do our <laughs> jib jabs. But then you got, like, weirdo Hasselhoff. He probably learned how to drink from Plumber. You know, oh yeah, and and Spinelli, Spinelli and Plummer probably turned that poor, beautiful little boy yeah. into a into the into the alcoholic he is today. Well, well, I don't know today, but he was when he was eating burgers on the floor. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. So Robert Tessier played Thor, chief of the Imperial State Police. I love Robert Tessier. Uh, Robert Tessier starred as the menacing convict Connie Shockner in the 1974 comedy drama The Long- Longest Yard with oh, Burt Reynolds, whom he counted movie. as one of his best friends, uh, also appearing with him in Hooper in 1978. Oh, yeah. He would show up in all of his stuff. One thing about Burt, Burt Reynolds was one of those guys, one of the first guys that just – he was like Adam Sandler. He would make the movies with his pals. Yeah, yeah. And this guy was in a lot of his movies. And – and Tessier, he 
he was in a lot of stuff as bad guys and monsters. Yeah, he did. He would, you yeah. know, he had his niche. Yeah, he was. He played a lot of bad guys. Yeah, but he had a little bit. He had a. The great thing about the longest yard is it gave him some depth. Right. And right. He, it was because he was like the you know the guy they were all afraid of. That yeah, was just yeah. like you know the badass. But he it was just really. If you haven't seen that movie, it's a great movie. It's an yeah. awesome movie. It's just such a movie of its time too. We're definitely going to do a show on that. But, oh yeah, yeah. But for yeah, sure. Tessier is an unsung hero. He's just one of those really great uh, journeyman character actors yeah. that yeah. was just good at playing a heavy. Yeah, and from from everything I've I've read, it seemed like he was a really nice guy because oh, yeah. during his spare time, he was an accomplished cabinet make, cabinet maker and would give them to his co stars. Oh sure, all the guys, the scariest looking dudes are always the biggest teddy bears. Yeah. You know, all the the guys that play. Because you think you get it all out, you get yeah. to, you yeah. get all your you just, rage and everything out because that's the parts you get to play. It must be really cathartic to just be like, ah, I want to kill all <laughs> of you all the time. And then you could just go home and play with your kittens. Yeah, uh, Nadia Cassini was played Corellia, queen of the Amazon women. Uh, Nadia started her career as a stripper, traveling around the world before settling down in Italy. Uh, she did a few movie roles before starring in Star Crash. She gained her greatest success after becoming a star in the commedia sexy all'italiana genre, which I'd never heard of. Oh yeah! Uh, but if you look it up on uh, on Wikipedia, make sure it's not at work because the first picture is a topless woman playing a cello. I got to know <laughs> this genre very well as a young man with a cable. Like, they would oh, play yeah, yeah, on Showtime yeah. or whatever, they would play these weird, nudie foreign movies yeah, late yeah. at night, and it would just, it would be disturbing because it's like, it just seemed sweaty and weird, yeah, but there were yeah. naked people, so it was exciting, but I just, yeah, that that that, that genre scarred me a little bit. It, did, it didn't last very long, and it was mostly just a few directors that did right. it. <laughs> but it but was, there was a, yeah. But it was definitely there, and, and it was big. I mean, it, it, it definitely made stars out of some people. There was a sexy uh, ba for every genre. Like, yeah, it, at yeah, that time, yeah. they were like, they were making the Canterbury Tales, but very sexy. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And so it'd be all these European nudie movies where they would take, you know, material that was public domain because it was around for right, thousands of years right, and then right. turn it into some sort of booby yeah, movie. Yeah. Uh, at some point in the 80s, Nadia Cassini had her face partially disfigured and her right ear lost in a botched plastic surgery procedure. Good lord, it's like the Joker. Yeah. Like, I did, that just seems really odd. There's a little I, bit of a curse on this movie. She, yeah, yeah. You know, we got a couple of, you got guy bleeding down the back of his head uh, and her losing her face. It's, uh, yeah. The Star, Star Crash Curse. <laughs> <laughs> so principal photography began on October 15th, 1977 at the Cinecita Studios in Rome. Uh, shooting also took place in Morocco, Tunisia, and Hollywood. The film was scheduled to be completed by mid-December 1977 with a budget of $4 million, but due to a slew of financial problems, the film actually took six months to complete. Uh, David Hasselhoff managed to get food poisoning during the shoot. Of course he did. Uh, production uh, assistant. Uh, guys, mm. <sighs> I'm feeling a little oof. Ah, I'm feeling a little weird in the mm, gastric area. A production assistant actually in a mask filled in for a significant number of his scenes. It was a very pretty mask. Which I will say, I didn't, when we watched it, I didn't realize. I knew this and I still didn't realize it was somebody in a mask. Yeah, because there's so many other really glaringly bad things <laughs> on the screen to see that'll distract you. Uh, Hasselhoff did do most of his own stunts on his first day of stunt work. Ooh, he uh, accidentally knocked out an Italian stuntman's tooth. Of course he did. Of course he did. He's a dummy. <laughs> he's, a, he's a pretty dummy, man. 
Here's a beautiful baby dummy. At one point, Caroline Monroe almost wet herself during production. She said, In one scene, I needed the bathroom so bad that I thought it's a good job I'm wearing plastic suit over my bikini, if you know what I mean. It was a really good read. <laughs> uh, speaking of her costume, there is very little continuity with her bikini costume, uh, as it was pointed out by Phoebe during the movie. Yeah. Well, there uh, was a lot of variations. Yeah. Uh, technically, there is a logical explanation for this. Okay. Let's hear it. Uh, is that her costume is from the future and that it changed depending on what she was doing. Cool. I want one of those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she was supposed to wear a bikini through the whole film, but American International Pictures, who was posed to purchase the film for the American market, told them it would be difficult to sell it to the TV markets if she were only in a bikini throughout the entire movie. So, for <laughs> so the last back then. third, I know, it seems very odd. Uh, during the last third, they put her in a much uh, more covering costume. Well, it was just, uh, no, they just put some tight clothes underneath her bikini. Yeah, it did. Like a bodysuit. Yeah. And yeah. then they put the bikini it over was, the bodysuit. Oh, you want her to be in a thing, so here it is. Hey. Nice. Yeah. That. <laughs> right there, I felt like I was in that a That was room. really offensive. Okay. Uh, they apparently didn't have a fight coordinator, as the martial arts fight between Marjo Gortner and Robert Tessier was improvised on the spot. Sure doesn't <clears throat> look like it. <laughs> <laughs> Nope. Uh, at one point, there was a communist worker revolt, which led to the film's master copy being held for ransom by Italian activists. Good God. I want to make a movie about making this movie. Yes. I do. I got to be I gotta be honest. I'm surprised it hasn't been done. It, it, it will be. We're writing the script. All right. All right. As long as Judd Apatow doesn't get to it first. <laughs> so only Marjo Gortner, David Hasselhoff, Christopher Palmer, and Joe Spinell actually have their own voices in the English dub version. <laughs> version. Uh, everyone else was dubbed by different people. And if you've seen the movie, it's really, really obvious. Now here's what I don't understand. Is there like a dubbing school where people are taught, do talk like this all the time? Or do they? Okay. I, oh. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Emperor. I think it's an unwritten, like, kind of a dubbing school. One person was doing it. It's like, well, this is how you get jobs. Everybody has to talk like this. It's just <laughs> so hey. non-emotive. It's awful. Like, it's, it's just awful. not it's good. Just, there, was a, there was a group of dubbers that were just like, I am going to talk like this. I never think it was going to be like this. And yeah. then they couldn't really match. It, yeah, it was. Uh, it's a little jarring. I mean, the whole thing is jarring because and you can tell. And but the ADR is just really bad. Yeah, like it doesn't match. And like, and it, granted, I, I know I worked in the, the industry, and like I have an eye for more of this stuff, but it's just not good. No, it doesn't matter if you have an eye, if you have eyes, Adam. <laughs> you can see it. Here's the deal. In this is this is the maddening thing that goes from the the cheapest production. To, like, the medium-sized productions. Yeah. They don't worry about sound. They take sound for granted. Yes. Sound is an yes. art form. It is so hard to do sound well. Yeah. But they think anybody could do sound, so they skimp on sound. And then when everything comes out crappy, there's, oh, fix it in post. ADR is, is always ADR. so much harder to do in post. You can get away with, like, a f- couple of scenes in a car or whatever, you know, because you only see the back of the head or what. But you can't dub an entire movie, no, man. No, Unless you are uh, Robert Rodriguez, which he did for El Mariachi. But he did it really well. He did, but it's still... Yeah. You know, I mean, I it's saw It's still it. obvious. It's still yeah. obvious. It was good. <laughs> I mean, he didn't have the... He must have gotten a different ADR... Uh, group than the ones that talk like this. Yeah. Well, I mean, but it was it was mostly also just the two leads. Yes. And I mean, you know, yeah. 
the post-production budget was very tight, so flying Carolyn Monroe and Judd Hamilton out to do their own voices was too expensive. I believe they were living in England at the time, and they were doing all this stuff in L.A. Uh, so Caroline Monroe, Monroe's voice was dubbed by Candy Clark, who was married to Marjo Gortner at the time. And she does such a great job because Candy Clark was also in uh, American Graffiti. Yeah. She was nominated for an she's Oscar for, for an Oscar. Yeah. But she's got a very, like, voice. But yeah. But in this, she's very, you know. Yeah, she's, yeah. I <laughs> I did. I assumed it was Carolyn Monroe, yeah. and it was just because uh, well, it was a very forceful, good boy. They yeah. did good. She did. She a did a good job. job. Yeah, yeah, really yeah, good yeah. job. I think of everybody. She did a good job. It's just because you know what you she know. did. She focused on those eyebrows, baby, and that's where she <laughs> found it. I found the voice and the eyes and the eyebrows. I found the anger and the intensity, the Monroe intensity. Uh, Ennio Morricone was first offered the opportunity to compose the film score, which he turned down. No, oh, it would have been. The producers were incredibly hesitant to show the film to John Barry, who had agreed to score the film, thinking he would quit when he saw how bad the film was. Uh, John F- Barry had famously scored uh, all the Bond movies up to that point and had won three Oscars. Yeah, I'd be pretty scared to show him, too. I yeah. mean, and that's just so funny. That it's like, they yeah. knew what a POS they had. Yeah. So they're just like, uh, should we show it to him? <laughs> But he, I mean, he did it, and the score is good. I yeah, mean, it's he a got good paid. score. Yeah, of course he did it. It, it fits the movie. And it's weird, and yeah. Uh, American International Pictures was interested in releasing Star Crash. Uh, it was a perfect fit, as their publicity department devised a strategy called "quote unquote" the Peter Pan syndrome. It's actually pretty brilliant. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> this is how the Peter Pan syndrome <laughs> publicity marketing works. Pay attention, kids. This a, is how you're gonna. Market's yeah, podcast this is how, from this now how it works. on. A, a younger child will watch anything an older child will watch. What you watching? Doesn't matter. Anything. Uh, B, an older child will not watch anything a younger child will watch. Uh, what you watching? Stupid. A girl will watch anything a boy will watch. I'll watch anything you're watching. A boy will not watch anything a girl will watch. Yeah, what you watching? Stupid. Therefore, to catch your greatest audience, you zero in on the 19-year-old male. Okay. <laughs> No. 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 Uh, that's exactly what they did. Well, maybe back then it kind of worked. Yeah. You know? Because teenagers are dumb and little yeah. kids want to follow their, yeah. their brother. Yeah. Look, I, th- my sister wasn't a brother, but I I yeah. totally wanted to listen to the music she listened to. I wanted to watch the movie oh, she yeah. watched because she was older and she had really good taste. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I would sneak in and, you know, but she, she didn't give a crap about what I was doing. I'd be hey, will you want to come watch this thing with me? And she'd be like, eh, get away from me. Yeah, yeah, totally. Call me when the mac and cheese is ready, really, bro. <laughs> Upon seeing the final cut of Star Crash, they declined to release the film because um, it was bad. We're going to have to pass yeah. on this one. I'm sorry. Luigi, go it was. See. Here's the thing. Also, there's there's controversy around this because also at this time, uh, American International Pictures, wait, what the hell is it? American International Pictures was actually bought by Filmways, which is another company, and I think it was Filmways that actually was like, yeah, no, we're not releasing this. But Luigi Katz, it's a great film. What are you doing in my career? It was picked up by New World Pictures, a Roger Corman company, to see if a low-budget space opera could make money. Uh, this led him to producing uh, Battle Beyond the Stars. Which we'll be talking about. That'll be on the star. Next episode. Well, you know what was crazy? Was this whole thing put the Luigi Cazzi in such a depression, man. And he decided he was not going to make any more films. And he had a brother. 
And his brother had a business. It was uh, pretty successful. And so he went and got into the plumbing business with his brother Mario. And uh, and they did pretty well. I mean, they branched out to ghost hunting. They went down um, a pipe and were never seen again. Yeah. <laughs> it's a me, a Mario. Yeah, I like that you give me crap at the beginning of the episode <laughs> about my awful joke. Great. Well, that's my my job is to make the awful jokes. You give us respectability. Hey, I get one every ten or so episodes. All right. All right. I mean, I'm just looking to you to keep us <laughs> out of the gutter, baby. Uh, the film managed to garner a whopping four hundred and seventy-eight thousand dollars in total box office from a four million dollar budget. That's not good. No. Uh, despite being critically panned and a box office failure, at the seventh Saturn Awards, it was nominated for the best international film. Okay. People love this movie, Adam. People love this movie. Yeah. In 2015, it was included in Rolling Stone's best sci-fi movies of the 70s. Yeah, well, that guy was just Googling sci-fi movies of the 70s and putting them on a list. He did not watch them, or she. I I don't want to be sexist, but that person probably did not do their work. Look, I get it. I get that people love this movie. I get that people are religious. I still (laughs) don't understand it. Okay, I I don't understand it. But, I mean... As a kid, it was there was spectacle, there was robots, there was laser swords. I, yes, yes. That, that's the thing that I love too. <laughs> it, it wasn't that the cool. No, no. It was. Yeah. And then it would go down and go. I'm going to get your laser sword. And then yeah, it was. Uh, it was just as a kid, it had. The ingredients, man. It I, had the Harryhausen, yes, yes. it had the light swords, is, it had the bikini yes. baby, it yes. had, you know, the, it, the, it the, was, the cowboy was, robot cop. It was close enough and had the elements of Star Wars that it, people were going to see it. But I'll tell you this. Watching it the other night, I could not give you a synopsis <laughs> of the plot. No when idea. you mentioned the, the princess lady that, you know, that yeah. was in the Comedia de Sexy de Rodo Yeah, yeah, the Amazon. I don't remember that character. She, she, she shot the laser beams through the TV screen. <laughs> Which caused the ship to crash okay. or something? Yeah, see, I see. I, yeah, she caused the star crash. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's. It didn't. None of it makes sense. Look, people, they get arrested and then they they get released because they need to be spies or something. If you saw this movie as a kid, <laughs> you know what we're talking about. It's it a fun, silly, crazy sense. movie. If you've never seen it before and you're curious, get yourself some edibles. Throw some Eddies yeah, on there. Yeah, definitely. And maybe put a, a, a couple it. of mimosas or, or don't a, watch it. Crack a, open some beers. A margarita or two. Yeah, whatever floats your boat and gets Bottle you in that whiskey. mellow groovy doovy. Yeah. Get in it. Yeah, and watch it. And you'll have fun making fun of it. It's a great. It, there's a reason why it was on Mystery Science Three Thousand. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a fun. We couldn't help but do it. It's a really fun movie just to crack jokes. Oh yeah, and, yeah, for sure. And you're gonna you're gonna make comments throughout it. It's that kind of movie. It's a get get a little funky with your friends and make fun of it, and it'll be yeah. a fun fun time. Uh, so uh, Kotsi was about to do a sequel to the film called Star Riders with a $12 million budget starring Klaus Kinski, Nancy Kwan, and Jack Rabin. Nice. Uh, but it never went into production. Uh, Kotsi began expressing his frustration with the Italian film industry, stating in an interview with Cinefantastique. Uh, what can I do? In Italia, when you bring a script to a producer, the first question he asks is not what is your film like, but what film is your film like? And that's the way it is in Italia. We can only make a zombie two, and never a zombie one. That pretty much that pretty much sums up uh, the Italian film market. Uh, it pretty um, much sums up a lot of the yeah. foreign film market. A lot of yeah, 
The American film market as well. He actually, uh, we're, we're out of time, but uh, the, the last thing he did, he actually has done do- documentaries now. He actually has kind of become like a film archivist for Ooh, Italian films. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, he's up there now. He's like 80, 85 or something. Yeah. Like, and he's still kind of doing documentary films and doing stuff. Hey, look, he made a cult hit. We're still yeah. talking about it yeah. 40 something years 40, later. 48 years, 44 years later. You know, and it's in, you look at IMDb, there's a lot of really positive review, reviews. I, there are people that love this movie. Yeah. Love this movie. There's people love a lot of things. But uh, I'm sure if I had saw it when I was like seven or eight, I probably would love it too. No. I like it. <laughs> I haven't seen it in probably 30 years. Yeah. I don't still love it. But I appreciate it for what it was, and I sure, loved it at the sure. time. But there are some things that it's okay to let go of from your childhood. Yeah. yeah. And, ad- and admit that maybe it wasn't the best thing in the world. <laughs> We don't have to hold on to every yes. little morsel yes. and make it precious like the ring of the golem. <laughs> yeah. My precious. Yeah. My precious stuff. Like, uh, for me, that would be Transformers the movie. Or. Um, the cartoon? Yeah, the cartoon. Okay, okay. Or, or um, uh, Highlander. Oh, you hate those both? I hate both of those movies okay. so much. All yeah. Right. Well, I can't wait to cover I those. I love Transformers the movie when I was young and I sure. watched it again in college and I was like this is the most boring movie I've oh, ever seen. Yeah. It's bad. And Highlander I didn't see until a few years ago and I don't understand why people like that movie. I need to see it again, but I've always loved Highlander. Yeah. I just love the thought of 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 him being a Spaniard. Yeah, oh, I mean it's hilarious. Well, I'm from Spain. But it's not a good movie. By the way of Scotland. Scotland. I, will, I refuse to do an accent. Alright, well we'll be back the next episode with uh, another farce movie, Battle Beyond the Stars. Battle Beyond the Stars, where we get into the Corman. We get into the Corman. Oh, so I'm baby. super excited to get into this one. Thanks for listening. He's basically they made Darth Darth They basically made We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. That's my mama, already in progress. <laughs>